like that. You Hello, one and all, and welcome that. to like this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope y'all had a very, very, very nice Thanksgiving break, because I know I sure did. I feel sorry for the college students. I gotta go back to class. I know going back to college after Thanksgiving break isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. It's the classes that take place after Thanksgiving break. Yeah, you want to go back up and go, oh, I get to see all my friends from college again. That's what you want to do. Now I go, oh, crap. I've got a whole week of classes now. Crap. After a week of being off, now I'm back doing normal classes. But at least I get to see my friends. And since it was Thanksgiving, I can't believe we forgot to do this last Wednesday. Uh, but I think it also works out because of the fact I now remember what we do on Thanksgiving, instead of just going, I think this is what I like. Now I have the palette resurrected, I guess you could say, and I would like to do this. I've not done this in quite some time now. It's been a little bit since we've done one of these, but I want to do a tier list. I want to do a Thanksgiving Day tier list. This is the Thanksgiving foods that you have, and we have five different tiers. We have Elite, we'll get seconds, Great, Okay, Maybe, and Hard Pass. Now, being a Midwesterner, being a lifelong Iowan, I believe that I have the finest of palates when it comes to Thanksgiving because I believe us Midwesterners have the best foods available to us for this delicious holiday. We'll get to some other sports topics later in the show as well. We got to talk about Thanksgiving Day football. We got Black Friday football. We got some hires, some interesting hires. We've also got some United States 2022 World Cup squad prediction video because if you didn't remember I said this on Wednesday of last week that last Sunday the 21st of November marks exactly one year until the 2022 World Cup in Qatar takes place which is ridiculous and stupid which is what we've talked about about a hundred times the show in the past I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty details about the World Cup in Qatar today I just want to talk about the squad and hope knock on wood that the U.S. makes it to this World Cup, unlike what happened in the 2018 World Cup. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for everything that happened over Thanksgiving, Greg. I'm thankful for everything that's been happening so far up until this point. And now let's get into some Thanksgiving tier list. So starting off with Turkey. Now, I don't know if this is controversial or not. I don't know. Turkey, I think, is okay. I think unless you've got it coated with things, like personally, I like to throw gravy on top of turkey. I like to throw mashed potatoes on top of turkey. I did that this year for the first time, and I found out that's really good. But turkey is kind of hit or miss for me. Now, I prefer it to some of the other things you have on Thanksgiving. That being said, it can be at times dry. I hope there's people out there that agree with me on this. I don't think this is a controversial take. I think a lot of people share my sympathies about this. But the number two thing on here is pumpkin pie. Oh my goodness, I'm contemplating putting this in elite. I love myself some pumpkin pie. It is arguably my favorite thing next to... Do we have it on here so I can say it if we don't have it? You know what? I'm going to put it on elite. I'm going to put it on elite. That, my favorite thing on Thanksgiving is cheesy potatoes. But cheesy potatoes is not on here. I love myself some cheesy potatoes. Apple pie is not something that we normally have here in the Blackman Blix Nelson household for Thanksgiving. Diaz household as well. We don't really eat a lot of apple pie. Like, the on Wednesday before Thanksgiving, my nana and papa brought out some pies. 
We had a pumpkin pie, we had a cherry pie, and we had a minced meat pie. So I don't really consider apple pie a Thanksgiving day thing. I love myself some apple pie, but if we're just talking about the grand scheme of Thanksgiving in, its, in itself, I don't know if I can put this on here. I don't remember the last time I had apple pie on Thanksgiving. I don't remember the last time I've seen apple pie on the spread for Thanksgiving. Like minced meat pie and pumpkin pie are traditional things that happen in the Blackman, Blix, Nelson, Diaz household. Okay, there's a lot of different family names in there. Billings, uh, Nizzy, like we got a bunch of different names thrown around in this household, but that's not one I really see on there. So I'm not going to throw apple pie on there. If I did, if I had to throw it on here, I'd throw it in great. I love myself some apple pie. I like cherry pie more, but I do enjoy apple pie. I think of that more as an October pie than a November pie. I think once we get to the month of November, apple pie kind of start, starts kind of phasing out and in comes pumpkin pie. That's just me. I could be completely wrong about that. I'm open to being wrong about it. But that's just why I'm not going to put apple pie on here. I'm not going to do it. Biscuits, I'm a big bread person. I'm a very big bread person. So I'm going to put biscuit. Ah, well, we don't really eat biscuits on Thanksgiving. I'm going to put it in okay. I like, no, ah, ah, greater okay. If there was an in-between category... I'll stick it in great for now. I, I like something else on here more, but I don't know if I want to put it in elite. Biscuits, I love a biscuit every once in a while. Biscuit and gravy is one of the best combos ever. If you've ever made poached eggs before, which I have and kind of pride myself on my poached eggs making abilities, putting it on top of a nice English muffin or biscuit, whatever, it's delicious. A fluffy biscuit is very, very hard to beat. Brussels sprouts... I think these are severely underrated. I like myself some Brussels sprouts. Now, the grand scheme of Brussels sprouts, the reason I'm saying they're underrated, I'm not going to put them in the great category. I'm going to put them in the all right, but from what you, the general consensus, I feel like anyways, about Brussels sprouts is that they're terrible. Like every show you've ever seen ever with a kid involved says, oh, I'm not eating Brussels sprouts. I'm not eating. I mean, the name sounds gross. I'll give you that. It doesn't sound the most appetizing, but I'm not going to sit here and hate on Brussels sprouts. I'm going to put that in okay. Squash, we don't really eat a lot of squash, but I, from the amount of squash I have had, I'd put it in maybe. I don't know if I'd go up there and go, oh yeah, I'm going to go up there and get some squash. I don't think I've ever done that before. I don't think we've ever had a lot of squash on Thanksgiving. I know we've had it before on Thanksgiving, but I'm not going to put it up there in the okay category because I'd have to think about it a little bit. I'd have to think about it for a tiny bit. Jellied cranberry. This is going to sound kind of bad, especially since I was bragging about being from the Midwest in Iowa, and I know this is a very, very big thing in the state of Iowa and Midwest in general. I don't eat cranberry juice. The, gel, the, the one that comes out of the can, I don't normally eat it. I'm going to throw that in the maybe. I, I don't normally eat it, okay? I'm sorry if that offends you. I know there's going to be some people out there that that offends you. I can't, I can't do anything about that. Like, being from Iowa, I know a lot of people love themselves some jelly cranberry. Or cranberry juice, or cranberry sauce. I don't normally eat it. But the next one, green bean casserole, that can go straight up in elite. I think everybody out there... I saw this on Twitter, actually, the other day. It was people going into Thanksgiving going like, Oh, ugh, green bean casserole? Ah, oh, it's a maybe. But the once you eat it, it's like, this thing's goaded. Who doesn't love green bean casserole? 
Who doesn't love it? I love myself some green bean casserole, and I will always be going for seconds of green bean casserole. Cornbread? Don't normally have cornbread on Thanksgiving. We have biscuits and rolls. Not and We have rolls more than the biscuits, but cornbread... Like, just in general, can I throw pumpkin pie up in great? Because I do love some apple pie, even though we don't normally have it. Same thing with, with cornbread. But I love myself some cornbread. And speaking of corn, coming from Iowa, I put it in okay. <laughs> I, I always get corn, but is corn my favorite thing of all time? No. I love myself some corn. And Iowa's corn is far superior to Nebraska's corn, as we will talk about a little bit later in the show. But... Corn is not something I normally go, oh, I've got to get corn. Corn casserole can be pretty good, but it's not something I've ever gone, yeah, we're going to get that. Cranberry sauce, and we kind of talked about with cram jelly cranberry, I don't normally eat it. I'd put it in maybe, I'm not going to put it in hard pass. Creamed corn, that one's, uh, we don't normally have cream, or we, we, if we do, I've never seen it, <laughs> or never gotten it. I'm going to throw it in maybe, I'm going to throw it in maybe. Dinner rolls. I mean, it's a dinner roll. Nice, warm dinner rolls are great. They are great. Now, you can see my diet on here on the great categories. Biscuits, cornbread, apple pie, and dinner rolls. I'm not necessarily in the fittest I've ever, fittest shape I've ever been in my entire life. But those are my fa some of my favorite things. Gravy, that has to go up in great as well. Who doesn't love gravy? Who doesn't love gravy? It goes on everything. If you... Have a Thanksgiving Day meal. You can put gravy on everything. Everything. Like it, it goes with everything. It just works. It's gravy. You can have the uh, turkey tur turkey gravy. You can have ham gravy, which I found out was a thing this past Thursday. I didn't know they made two different gravies, at least in our household. But gravy's awesome. This one, though, the next one, might be controversial. It's ham. I don't really like ham. Ham is a hard pass for me. And I feel kind of harsh putting it in there. But I feel like we've got to throw something in hard pass. Like there's got to be something in the rest of the things on here I don't really dislike that much. I never eat ham. I do not like ham. I don't like ham. Never have. Now, if it was mixed in with other things, which I guess you can do on Thanksgiving, which is what we talked about with the turkey... Yeah, it's fine, but I'm definitely not going for it. Like my family gives me a hard time about that all the time, but I would never once have gone, oh, I'm going to go straight for the ham. I get turkey as my meat. I don't get ham and turkey or just ham. I will never do that. So I'm going to put it in a hard pass. In a hard pass. Mac and cheese, maybe. I Mac and cheese is really cheap. I mean, it says, it says it's in the name. It's in the name. Mac and cheese is very cheesy. <laughs> I personally, I started doing this this year because when I was younger, I never ate mac and cheese. Never ate craft mac and cheese ever. But this year, 2021, I started putting Frank's Red Hot, Red, Red so Frank's Hot Sauce on it, which I think I should clarify this because I've had this conversation with my friends before about how thanks to Tech 9, everybody thinks Sriracha is put that on everything. No, that's Frank's red sauce. Frank's hot sauce. Frank's is the one that goes, I put that shit on everything. That's that old lady that says that. Then Tech Nine released a song called Sriracha and when I was in high school or early college, and everybody's like, oh, that's what that's Sriracha's thing. No, 
It's not. It's not. And I've gotten in conversations with people about that, and they keep convinced that it's that. It's like, no, it's not. And thankfully, Frank's Red Hot has started to put some commercials out there again to remind people that. And this is nothing against Sriracha. I'd like to clarify that before. It's nothing against Sriracha. I just like Frank's Red Hot Sauce more. Frank's Hot Sauce more. Frank's Red Sauce more. Whatever you want to call it. But mac and cheese, maybe. I'll think about it. Mashed potatoes, great. Or no, elite. I forgot elite was the top category. Elite. Mashed potatoes are elite. I don't think I need to explain anything to you about mashed potatoes. I just told you a little bit ago, the first thing with turkey, I started putting mashed potatoes in my turkey and made it taste a whole hell of a lot better. You can make mashed potatoes just plain. You can have them with the skins in it. You can put butter on it. You can put sour cream on it. I've heard some crazy ass people put yogurt on it. Uh, you could put like part. You could put like green onions on it, parsley on it, cheese on it, gravy on. It. I don't know if we said that already. Like you could do. It's so versatile. It does everything, and it goes good with everything. The other thing on here, and I don't know if this is controversial as well. This is one the drink category. We have two things that are drinks on here, and it's red wine. This is just a preference thing. I'm not a big wine person. Never have. I mean, I'm the wine. The smell of wine is awesome. The aftertaste for me is what kills it. I had red wine up at an art show in Ames a few months ago, and I only did that for the fact that I was at an art show and I was like, "Oh, let's let's get the wine." And you swirl it around your hand in that stupid cup with the stem on it. And then you sniff it. No, I didn't do that. But that's the funny thing about wine tasting and all that stuff. My parents loved themselves some wine. A lot of family members of mine loved themselves some wine. I never have gone out and gone for the wine ever. Never have. I don't know why. Uh, roasted vegetables, great. I mean, they're just roasted vegetables. What's wrong? How can you go wrong with gro- roasted vegetables? Like, are you five? Are you in those one of those stupid cartoons we talked about earlier where the kid's like, ugh, vegetables? Grow up, you freaking loser. Uh, next one, scalloped potatoes. I love myself some scalloped potatoes. We don't, we didn't have them this year. We normally do, but we didn't have them this year. I put those in great. Scalloped potatoes are fantastic. I will not say anything bad about scalloped potatoes. Next one, the sparkling juice and I, the Welch's sparkling juice. That goes straight up to elite. I hope that most of you out there have had Welch's sparkling grape juice before because it's life changing. I remember being a kid. And pulling out the Welch's sparkling grape juice and putting it in the wine glass, go, wow, I'm fancy like the adults. Or if even if you're an adult right now, like I'm 24, and I still willingly go after the Welch's sparkling juice. Like, oh, not only does it smell good, it tastes really good as well. There's just not the adverse effect of me getting plastered off sparkling juice. Now, you could obviously spike it if you really wanted it. You wanted some good tasting wine, then you can do that. But I love myself some sparkling juice. And it's not that I'm against wine drinkers or anything. It's just a personal preference of mine that I don't eat it. Stuffing, I'm hit or miss with stuffing. I I usually like it. Sometimes I don't. Because some people throw raisins in it. You know those people that throw raisins in stuffing? I found that out this year. I've never seen a lot of raisin stuffing before until this year. At least the first time I actually noticed it. It don't work. Stop throwing raisins raisins and stuffing. That's going in okay, because I will get it. There's no maybe about it. If I see stuffing, I'll go and get it. But stop throwing the raisins in the stuffing. And the final, final one is sweet potato casserole. When I was a toddler, 
not really physically, but mentally, I did not eat sweet potato casserole. But those marshmallows on top of the sweet potatoes is perfect almost every single time. Now that my mental capacity has elevated itself from a toddler to like an early elementary school kid, I'm feeling a lot better about myself in regards to eating my sweet potato casserole. Now, I've never called it that before. We just call it the sweet potatoes. Now, I am also one, because I've seen this in the picture that we have on here, is the tiny marshmallows. To this, to you who like the tiny marshmallows, this is what I say to you. You are probably the same plebs that like eating normal Oreos. What kind of dumb idiot eats normal Oreos when double-stuffed Oreos exist? Uh, Who eats those willingly? Unless you're trying to pretend like, oh, I'm feeling fat. No, if you eat Oreos, you eat Oreos. Double-stuffed Oreos, not normal Oreos. Why are those even a thing? Like, just eliminate the whole standard Oreo thing. I don't know anybody that actually eats them. And then the ultra-thin Oreos? Why don't you eat the driest cookie in the world by itself anyways? Just get a thing of, like, saltine crackers and call it good. But take the salt off of it because there's not salt on Oreo cookies. Famously, not salt on Oreo cookies. But for, like, sweet potato casserole, which is it's starting to flow a little better. Again, I've never called it that, but it's starting to flow a little bit. I like myself the big marshmallows. And I used to do this with some friends in elementary school and, sadly, somewhat into middle school. I don't know if anybody else did this, but they were always good. You stick marshmallows, the big marshmallows, because we're not losers, uh, on, like, plastic... Pl- or not plastic. Uh, well... Kind of depending on what plate you had, but you put them in the microwave and just watch them blow up like a freaking balloon, and then you eat them, and they're nice and caramelized on the inside. Very unhealthy, but you know what? It tasted delicious with the big marshmallows. You can't do that with the tiny marshmallows. Like, a few years ago, when I was, yeah, well, middle school probably, we had marshmallows explode in our oven, and it wasn't the loser tiny marshmallows. No, it was the big ones. Because if you're going to fail like that, at least say you went out trying. Or you at least went out swinging. With the tiny marshmallows, you're not even trying. But the big marshmallows, perfect. So this is my... This is open to edit at the end of it. So if I post this tomorrow or when the show comes out and you see this tier list, it might look a little different. I don't know. We'll have to listen to future Logan a little bit to know if it looks any different or not. But in the elite category for Thanksgiving foods, we have pumpkin pie green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, and sparkling juice. Again, I don't care if it makes me look like I'm a middle schooler or elementary school kid or a toddler. It's good. And if you're denying that sparkling juice is good, you're just afraid to be yourself, okay? You're afraid of what other people think of you, and you should be ashamed of yourself. You know why? Because sparkling juice is delicious, and I don't care who knows it. Great category, biscuits, cornbread, apple pie, dinner rolls, the most stuffing (laughs) food if you want to feel bad about yourself at thanksgiving eat those things and then you got the gravy the roasted vegetables to balance out the insane amount of carbs you just inhaled even though it's gonna be so hard then finish it off with scalloped potatoes or they put escalloped potatoes e-scalloped potatoes is that a phrase i've always just referred to them as scalloped potatoes is there are they e-scalloped potatoes escalloped potatoes that fancy and then sweet potato casserole and then okay Turkey, Brussels sprouts, corn, and stuffing. Again, if you throw raisins and stuffing, screw you. Don't do that again. 
maybe we put squashed jelly cranberry cranberry sauce which is good but i normally don't get it on thanksgiving it's not that any of this is like atrocious i just i i, I just sorry sorry i i would have to think twice before i grabbed it cream corn same thing and then mac and cheese unless i got some frank's red hot with me i think i've called it about 15 different things throughout the process of this show so far i don't remember what the hell it's called all i know it's really good and then hard pass ham and wine. And it says specifically red wine. It doesn't really matter to me. Like, I don't care that I'm 24 years old. I don't like wine. I will always grab the sparkling juice. I don't care. I'm not afraid to admit who I am. Some of you out there are. And I hope this testimony from me allows people that are out there afraid to be who they are Step out of the shadows a little bit. That's what I'm hoping from this episode of the Logan Blackman Show. That's what I'm really hoping. That's the main overarching theme of this show. You might be sitting there going, Oh, I don't know if anybody will like me. I don't know if anybody will respect me anymore. They'll look at me differently. If I say I like sparkling juice versus wine, I tell you, tell them to go and screw themselves and shove their red wine where the sun don't shine. I don't care. (laughs) drink your sparkling juice and feel good about yourself and you don't need to go oh i was family all day i need to get plastered now, shut up those people could go screw off as well those people are just annoying i think they just do that for the attention are we drinking no <laughs> we're not i have nothing against drinking i'm partial to a beer or two myself but I don't get the people on social media like, oh, man, I'll go go visit my family. Looks like I got a pound a few bottles of wine or a thing of liquor. The God forbid a, two, a thing of Hawkeye. Like, goodness gracious, grow a pair, drinks with sparkling juice, okay? <laughs> Which is probably the exact opposite thing you would expect from people to say about growing a pair and drink sparkling juice. But you know what? That's the reality in which I live in right now. And I'm going to reorder this and like things that I think are the most important parts of each category and the things I don't like of each category. And possibility of moving one up or down. Like if I had to look at the grand scheme of things right now, nothing's leaving Elite. Elite is fine. If I'm looking at great, like gravy could go up to Elite if it really wanted to. Dinner rolls could go up to Elite if it really needed to. Turkey, that's staying in okay. Everything in okay is pretty much staying there. If something... If people didn't put raisins in it, be perfectly fine. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty good. I think that's a pretty good tier list right now. And if you don't like it, screw you. I don't care. I'm the host of the Logan Blackman Show, which you can follow on all forms of social media on Twitter, Instagram, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and make sure you go and follow me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts as well. Like, what is your opinion? I'm the smart one here. How many syndicated podcasts do you host? None? <laughs> Your opinion means nothing, then. Okay, let's move on. What other things happened on Thanksgiving despite the food? Like, if you look at the food, I know that's, like, the greater thing in Thanksgiving. Like, oh, it's about family, getting together. Oh, say everything you're thankful for. Wrong. It's about the Buffalo Bills kicking the absolute pig snot out of the New Orleans Saints Sunday, Thursday night football on NBC with Drew Brees up in the stands watching his old team get shit-stomped by the Buffalo Bills 31-6. And Josh Allen... Though he threw two interceptions in the game, you know what? It don't matter. It don't matter because they were so dominant in the game as a whole. They didn't need him at his best. And he still completed like 80-something percent of his passes. 
And the second interception, he could have had five touchdowns because his arm got hit and intercepted by Quan, Quan Alexander. Like, Josh Allen didn't play his best and still threw four touchdowns and still had 43 yards. Now, this was something we knew was going to happen going into the game. We've talked about it before. Bill's rush offense stinks. When you take away the pass game, the Bills' rush offense is mainly predicated on Josh Allen. He was one yard away from leading the team in rushing. But one thing that I saw in this game that a lot of Bills fans have been crying for for the past few, it feels like, months, is playing Matt Breida, who is one of the, if not the fastest, and we're talking about just miles per hour registered in the NFL, one of the fastest players in the league. And he adds a something different that both Zach Moss and Devin Singletary don't add. That extra burst of speed. He's also a better pass catcher out of the backfield than those two. And what's been frustrating for most Bills fans on social media, which you know Twitter's a very good place to see a lot of like-minded individuals, a lot of very level-headed people that don't overreact to anything. But one thing that I have seen is that people are mad because it feels more like they're trying to force Zach Moss into this team rather than just playing the best players there. Now, is that true? I'm not 100% sure, but I can tell you this. Matt Breed is a whole hell of a lot more threatening in this offense than either Devin Singletary or Zach Moss. Now, what I will give Zach Moss is that he is the best pass blocker out of the three, out of Breida, Singletary, and Moss. But Breida is better. And my dad and I, we watched Oregon get shit-stumped by Utah, LOL, and then saw... Going like, oh man, we'd love to see the Utah version of Zach Moss that just dominated people. That one doesn't exist in this offense. Now, I will also come to the defense, so we're going to play both sides of the coin here. One, bashing the Bills' rushing attack on the fact that the running backs aren't very good and them trying to force Zach Moss. But on the other hand, Bills' O-line sucks. We we talked about that before. The Bills' O-line reeks. And Josh Allen's getting hit. All the time, not necessarily getting registered sacks because he's too big to go down all the time. He'll muster people off, but he'll still take hits after he's thrown the football or when he's about to throw a football or take some unnecessary hits. The run offense is not good. That's not just going in. And I know in the offseason, we wanted them to get Etienne or Najee Harris. That was what I wanted coming out of the draft. But I was like, okay, edge rusher makes sense as well. I wasn't upset with getting Rousseau at all. I was actually very happy about getting Rousseau. But... It'd be nice to have a guy that you know, okay, this is the running back that we can trust. But I don't think they have that. I don't think the Bills know not only who their best running back is, I don't think they know who their best 5-0 linemen are. Like Spencer Brown came in as a third-round draft pick and was supposed to be a project pick, much like Josh Allen's been forced into the team a lot sooner than people thought because the people that are in the spot he's playing reek. That was what Josh Allen dealt with his rookie year when he came in. Peterman threw a 0.0 QBR against the Ravens. He had to start the next week against the Chargers. Spencer Brown was going to sit, and then it realized, oh, wait, Cody Ford sucks dick, and then he had to play right tackle with Darrell Williams to guard, which has been very nice. But the O-line as a whole, Deion Dawkins has regressed a lot. John Fleece-Yano's been out, but even when he's in, he's not the best O-lineman ever. Mitch Morse is a very, very good pass-blocking center, not a very good run blocker. Ike Butker is fine. You don't want him being the franchise left guard, but he's a fine ta- fine guard for the Bills. Cody Ford, as we said, sucks. Darrell Williams is a better guard than tackle, and Spencer Brown's been hurt or had COVID for the past two, three games. 
I think he went two and two because he had a he played against the who was it? The Jets. I think he played against the Jets. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident he played against the Jets. Like this offense is so heavily predicated on the pass or Josh Allen running that the old line was something that going into the last season was something that you could just look at and go, oh yeah, Josh Allen's good enough to get around that. But even Bills fans going into the draft, we knew it wasn't a good offensive line with people kept bragging about how good it is. It's not. Josh Allen just makes it look better because he doesn't get sacked all the time. The run game stinks. We knew that going into the season. That was something I was worried about both on the offensive side and the defensive side. Now, the defensive side has played really well. Defense has played out of the world, out of this world this year, apart, obviously, excluding the Colts game, which is just an outlier because they haven't had a game like that all season. Like the Derrick Henry one, he busted out a 70-yard run if he did exclude that, which you can't, but if he did, he had like 50, 60 yards rushing. It wasn't like a monstrous performance from Derrick Henry apart from the mass- massive run, which should have gotten taken back because of a holding call, but nothing, nonetheless, it didn't get taken back. But yeah, all in all, good game, dominating performance. But the part that sucks about this game is that the Bills lost Tredavious White, one of the best corners in the NFL. I would contend him to be a top five corner in the league. I think he's one of the most underappreciated players in all of the league. It's been kind of just Trey White and someone else on the other side. They have not really had a main guy on the opposite side of Tredavious White ever since he's been in Buffalo. I mean, EJ Gaines, I believe, was there the first year. Trey White was there, and he did fine, but he was hurt 90% of the time after that. Levi Wallace has been fine. He's played pretty good this year. Dane Jackson has had spurts of decent at best play. Taron Johnson's awesome, but he's he's a nickel corner, which we've talked about before. But with Trey White tearing his ACL... I think this, more than anything, hurts the Bills' Super Bowl chances more because of the fact the Bills have not invested anything into the secondary for the past few years now. Like, if we're talking about high draft picks, that's been something a lot of Bills fans have been crying for was a corner opposite Tredavious White because Levi Wallace, though, yes, is decent. You can upgrade on him. And he's played well this year, but you can still upgrade on him. Now that's getting to the point of the Bills just lost one of their top three most important players, which I would contend that the three most important players on the Buffalo Bills are Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and Trey White in no particular order. And those are the three most important players on the team. And now with Trey White being out, who has stayed healthy throughout his entire career in Buffalo, this makes it a little more interesting, especially when you've got some very, very nice past teams coming up on the schedule for the Bills. Still got to play the Patriots twice, and Mac Jones looks really, really good. You had to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You had to play the Falcons, who all they do is pass, apart from, you know, when they hand it off every once in a while to Correll. If they could stop Correll passing the run game, they'll throw to him. They'll be perfectly content throwing the ball to him. Like, Trey White. Out of all the players on this team, why did it have to be Trey White? And it's not just the player. He's a really good person, too. That's the part that also sucks about this. It's because not only do you lose an incredible player, you lose an incredible person. And thankfully, though, with the advancements in technology and like healing that we've done and surgery that we've had over the past few years, he tore his ACL on Thursday. He should be back and ready to go by the time next season starts, if not like the second week the season starts. 
it's not a career ender like it was back in the day with Gail Sayers having to retire because he tore his ACL. Or people sitting out an entire year because they tore their ACL. It's still a massive injury. He's going to miss the rest of the season. But he can recover enough to get back to next season and be in at least 75% full fitness. I would hope anyways. Now, I could be completely wrong about that, but that's what it feels like because there's been a lot of ACL injuries and it's not as debilitating as it once was seen because of the advancements we had. And I hope Trey White comes back stronger because, again, he'll be extremely, extremely missed on this team. Extremely. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, who we've said over a while now, is the best safety tandem in the NFL is going to have to play their asses off. Both of them should be all pros this year. Both of them should be pro bowlers. They're going to have to prove it now, more so than they ever have had to do before with Trey White being out and Dane Jackson being the corner opposite Levi Wallace. Now, I'm intrigued to see who they get, but it's not going to be anything they'll be able to replace Trey Davis White. It just won't be able to. In the other games on Thanksgiving, we had the Bears and Lions. Awful. <laughs> awful, awful, awful game. And then the Raiders-Cowboys, another awful game. 28 combined penalties. 28. The score was fun. I mean, 36-33, fun. But 28 penalties. What the hell is that? 28. I don't know if we can get our minds around that. That is an insane amount of penalties. Good Lord, but that's what the NFL wanted. That's what the NFL wanted, and that was... A high scoring, yeah. Cancer to watch, though. The Bills one was never even close. That, that game was not close the entire game. And it should have been worse than what it was. Because the aforementioned Josh Allen interception the first time, which was just a bad throw. Tried to force it to Spawn Diggs. It looked like he thought Diggs would move more inside. Diggs sat outside. And it, it was just a miscommunication on that. And then the last one was a, his arm got hit through an interception. But yeah. Gotta love Thanksgiving. Got to love Thanksgiving. And while we're on the topic of the NFL, let's just go over some scores that have gone on today in the NFL. So we've had the Bengals thrash the Steelers 41-10, which was an awesome game to see. They're at 31-3 at halftime. 31-3 at halftime. Awesome game. Awesome. Joe Burrow threw an interception the very next play. Big Ben threw an interception. Awesome stuff. Uh, we had the Bucks come back against the Colts, which is also awesome. They were down 24-14 to 14 at halftime. Leonard Fournette had got Jonathan Taylor revenge game for what he did to the Bills last week. Leonard Fournette has three rushing touchdowns in the game. And what was stupid from the part of the Colts, Jonathan Taylor, and we said this last week, Jonathan Taylor is the MVP of the league, in my opinion. Dude has rushed for a touchdown every week since week three. Got one today. But did the Colts not realize that he is their best player? He didn't get a carry in the second half until about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. What? And he's not incapable of catching the ball to the backfield. You don't need to sub in Naheem Hines. Now, he's a very nice third down back. Very good um, situational back. But you got the MVP, my MVP of the league in Jonathan Taylor. On the side, just sitting on the sideline. And even though he didn't get a carry until the nine-minute mark in the fourth quarter, he's still at 83 yards and a touchdown. Like, why is he on the bench so much? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. 
And I'm glad the Colts lost because, you know, it, I needed the Colts to lose because they have the tiebreaker over the Bills and stuff like that. But, man, put Jonathan Taylor in. For the for the sake of Colts fans, put Jonathan Taylor in. For me, I just need him to score one touchdown and be fine. And he did. He eventually got a touchdown for me in the end. But for Colts and their fans, play the damn running back. Good Lord. Play him. It's stupid. Uh, the Dolphins beat up on the Panthers 33-10, like we said, what was it, two weeks ago, when people hyping this up, it was like, well, Cam Newton's back in Carolina. Cam Newton's back. The Panthers are going to be good again. Like, the people just forgot that he had one of the worst seasons in NFL history last year. And I am well aware that the New England Patriots had a lot of opt-outs and a lot of injuries. He still only threw eight touchdowns in 15 starts. That is insane. I think only Trent Dilfer has less touchdowns in that amount of starts. He had four. I know that one. There might be other players in there as well. But eight touchdowns in 15 games? It looked bad last year. And we've said we've said this for the past few seasons now. Dude, just retire. You're not healthy. He looks bad. I don't know what the people in the media were talking about. Like, oh, he's back, so now the Panthers are going to be somewhat good now. No. He was awful last year, and he was awful today. This today, 5 for 21, 92 yards, 2 interceptions. And it just, like, why why did we hype this up so much? I know it's a nice fairy tale thing of Cam Newton's back in Carolina where he won the MVP, led him to a Super Bowl. He still never had back-to-back winning seasons in Carolina. Like, I don't know how that fact keeps getting lost in translation somewhere. The Carolina Panthers have never, ever had back-to-back winning seasons. It's one of my favorite little factoids in NFL history. Never have they ever had back-to-back winning seasons. But now Cam Newton's back, and now they're going to go and dominate the league. Because when they went through their easy part of the schedule, they looked really good. So Sam Darnold being asked, now they can look really good again. Remember they had that dominating performance against the Cardinals where Cam had two touchdowns on two plays? That was awesome. Now he's back. And then he gets benched against the Dolphins, who have one of the worst defenses in the league this year. Like, what... Nice romanticism, stupid logic. <laughs> like, in reality, that's stupid to think that they were going to be really good again. Or good. And Sam Darnold, I was talking this to a friend earlier, he went from the Jim Plunkett of going out and getting the du- or going to another team and becoming a franchise quarterback like everybody thought he would with Jim Plunkett getting drafted by the Patriots and then going out and dominating on the next team, going to the freaking, uh, what's it called? The, no, the Las, not the Las Vegas Raiders, the Oakland Raiders at the time, Las, Los Angeles Raiders. They've moved so much, I don't remember. The Los Angeles Raiders, and they're, they're going to be awesome. He won a Super Bowl, won two Super Bowls, actually, and Sam Darnold's going to be that. Now it's turned out he's more of a Rick Meyer. Getting drafted by Seattle super high, played three years in Seattle before getting traded to the Bears and doing absolutely nothing. It's like, oh, it's all these guys' faults. Not Sam Darnold's fault, because remember our pre-draft evaluation was that this dude's a can't-miss prospect. Remember people said he was better than Lamar Jackson? Remember that? The same people that said he was better than Josh Allen, too? Remember all those? The same people that are saying Lamar Jackson's the LeBron James of the NFL? Which he's not. We've talked about that before. I love Lamar Jackson. He's not the best quarterback in the NFL. Not only is he, he's not even the best player in the NFL, let alone best quarterback or best player. Flip that around. That's the same thing. He's not Jim Plunkett. He's freaking Rick Meyer. 
or Myrer, however you want to call him. I don't remember how to say his name exactly. But that's what instantly I got. I thought of that yesterday. I was like, man, Sam Darnold was supposed to be really good again. Remember how good he looked at the start of the season? And then now he's back to Sam Darnold that we knew in New York or New Jersey. Not Jim Plunkett, Rick Meyer. Now he still has a chance to turn it around, but he hasn't played good at all. Hasn't played good at all. And then we have another team on here that used to play Sam Darnold and feasted off Sam Sam Darnold quite a bit. It's the New England Patriots. They kicked the shit out of the Tennessee Titans today. Sorry about that. I had pizza right before I had I started the show today. It was 16 to 13 at halftime with the injury-riddled Titans. I think they're the most technically, or statistically speaking, I think they're the most injured team in the NFL. So they just put AJ Brown on IR, which is massive. Derrick Henry's been on IR, and Julio Jones is injured as well. So they don't really have anybody, and that showed in the second half as the Patriots scored 20 unanswered points, and now are sitting back atop the AFC East. And my friend Noah was telling me about this yesterday about how somebody, I, he couldn't remember if it was on ESPN or an NFL Network, is that the Bills don't win the division this year, they're never winning the AFC Championship again, or AFC East again, which is stupid. Do you realize the only reason the Patriots are technically above the Bills in the division standings because they haven't had a bye week yet? Do people not realize that? Because that's what it seems to be. Because <laughs> the Bills were first on Thanksgiving. Like, after Thanksgiving, the Bills were 7-4, and four, both teams were 7-4, and four, now the Patriots are back in first place. Patriots' bye week comes week 14. The only reason they are first right now is because they haven't had their bye week yet. Which I hate the late bye weeks in the season because Jonathan Taylor and the Colts have a 14, week 14 bye week and that screws me in fantasy football because that's the first round of the playoffs. So I'm kind of nervous. Kind of nervous. But the Patriots, I'm not going to take anything away from the Patriots. I'm not taking anything away from them. Just the fact that people are hyping them up to this insane degree the only reason they are in the first place of the division is because they have a bye week. haven't had their bye week, and the Bills have. The only reason. Now, we can settle all of this next week. Monday Night Football, Bills-Patriots. I'm scared shitless of that game, especially with Tredavious Whiteout, but I'm confident in the offense. I'm confident in the defense as well. The defense had great players even without Tredavious Whiteout. Even though he's the most important player on that defense, they still got great players. Mac Jones looks awesome. Don't want to take anything away from him either. Two touchdowns a game, 310 yards. They kicked the shit out of the Titans today. And you could tell the injuries affected them because they have nothing to do on offense. <laughs> they have nowhere to go on offense. So it's kind of hard to watch them right now. The Giants beat the Eagles 13-7 in a really weird, really, really weird game. Uh, Eagles, uh, uh, Jalen Rager, I mean, we said this when he got drafted, drops. He dropped a pretty crucial ball. That would have put the Eagles, I think, at the one-yard line, maybe scored a touchdown, maybe won the game. Who knows? Dropped it. Dropped the ball. And Jalen Jalen Hurts, three interceptions on the game, also had 77 yards. And I saw a thing today that I'm not terribly surprised about. It's Jalen Hurts is, let me see if I can find this. Jalen Hurts is on his way to establishing himself as the Eagles franchise quarterback. I saw this this morning. This is at 12 o'clock. It was 12 o'clock with 33 milliseconds. So it's right as the Eagles-Giants game was starting. And then he proceeded to throw three interceptions against the Giants. Now, I did not see a lot of the game. I was not really <laughs> invested into the Eagles-Giants game whatsoever. But I could tell you that probably didn't help his case of being the franchise quarterback. But all in all, jokes aside, Jalen Hurts, we said this during the mock draft we did. 
I think Jalen Hurts can be their franchise guy. I think he can. But I think my, what my gut tells me, at least what it did back then, which was a month ago, I think almost exactly a month ago, was that I think the Eagles, front office, will be the ones that are like, yeah, let's move on from you. You look at all the things the Eagles have done this offseason, it was trying to get moves to get a quarterback to at least challenge or displace Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. That's all they were trying to do. Tried to trade for Zach Wilson. Didn't work, so they traded back. Then they got Joe Flacco. Then they traded for Gardner Minshew. Then they traded for Reed Sinnott. So it was like all these things were moving together to get Jalen Hurts out of there. But he's playing well. We've never discredited him as a leader. That's been the main thing. I've never discredited him in his work ethic either. I love the person he is. I know he can get people behind him. He's very athletic. I just thought the Eagles would try to move on from him. But I'm not surprised by any means that this is the direction they're leaning because they have a lot more needs on this roster than Jalen Hurts. They do. I mean, I said before the season started, I think I had him going 5-12 and 12 or 6-11. and 11. I can't remember exactly what I had him as. But this season has been drunk anyway, so I'm not really confident with any of the preseason predictions I made anymore. But I'm not terribly surprised that that's the headline leaning towards that because I, I do like Jalen Hurts. I like him a lot. I just thought the Eagles would try to move on from him. And then we got another bird, the Falcons. They beat the Jaguars 21-14. Daryl Patterson had himself a nice day in Jacksonville. The Eagles, the Falcons tried to make it a game, but the Jaguars coming back. 14-21 was the final. They were winning pretty decently, and they tried to let him come back. Didn't, though, and they won the game. Uh, the Jets, with Zach Wilson's triumphant return, beat the Houston Texans today 21-14. Zach Wilson didn't need to do a lot today. It's his first game since coming back from his PCL injury. I think that's what it was in his knee after the New England Patriots game. Didn't do a whole lot. 145 yards interception in the game. Got sat four times. But they won. They won. Austin Walter had a rushing touchdown in the game. And you know what? You win 21-14. to You don't really care how you did it. Tyrod Taylor. Two touchdowns. Intercepts 158 yards in the, through the air. With 30 yards on the ground. Coming up short against the Jets. And then we also had the final game. Or two. I guess those were the final games for the noon, noon o'clock kickoffs. Then we had the, the Packers beating the Rams 36-28. We had the Niners beating the Vikings 34-26, which is a very weird game to watch. And it's been all over social media, so I'm sure everybody's seen this now. But Kirk Cousins lining up underneath, underneath the guard. Like, I don't know what it is. There's a video from him with the Washington, then Redskins, a few years ago, where he kneels it when he meant to spike it, and then tries to call a timeout or spike it again, and it just, the clock runs out. It's like, what? I don't know what it is with him in these weird situations, but that his brain just like completely shut off in that. The Vikings were an overall mess on that play anyways. He had them on the right side, two receivers. It was Jefferson and Osborne. Told him to get their asses over to the left side and then lines up underneath the right guard. Then Alexander Madison taps him on the ass and said, hey, you're not under the center. And then he calls a timeout. I don't know what it is with these clutch situations, but go and watch that Washington video. It's really funny. Supposed to spike it, kneels it instead, then realizes what he's done, and then tries to get back under center again. I don't know. It's a very weird video on the Vikings of this game. They led 7-0. This is their 10th out of their last 11 games, which they have led by 7-plus points in a game. And they're 5-6. and six. Let me just say this. That's not ideal. Not ideal. And then finally, we have the Chargers losing the Broncos 28-13. Herbert throwing two interceptions on the day. One going back for a pick six. not Just not a great game. Not a great game. Drew Locke came into the game today. Didn't do really anything. Teddy Bridgewater came back in. Threw a touchdown. 
Uh, Javante and had a rushing touchdown. Javante Williams had a rush touchdown in the game as well. Also led the Broncos in receiving with 57 yards. Chargers now six and five, and the Broncos now six and five as well. So now in the AFC West, we have three teams at six and five, three, and the Chiefs are seven and four right now. That is kind of crazy. This season, this season is freaking stupid. We have so many teams around the seven and four, six and five mark. It's kind of sickening to this point. And then we got Sunday Night Football. We got the Ravens and the Browns playing 6-3 to three right now with a minute left in the second quarter. And the Ravens currently have the ball, but probably aren't going to do anything. Probably just see the clock out. Who knows? Who knows what the Ravens will do? But speaking of the Ravens, John, John Harbaugh, the coach of the Baltimore Ravens, has a brother. You may or may not know this. I might just be breaking this news to you now. But John Harbaugh has a brother named Jim. And Jim just kicked the dog shit out of the Ohio State Buckeyes on Saturday, which was awesome. And I said on Wednesday's show, I didn't think Michigan would win the game. But we did say that Michigan's defense is a whole hell of a lot better than Michigan State's defense. I was just concerned that Cade McNamara would not be able to keep up with C.J. Stroud in the passing offense. Now, the weather did play somewhat of a factor in it. Michigan's best Tool their offense has been their running game with Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, which is what we said on Wednesday. With the snow, it altered it, and I'm sure the wind as well. Altered the game plans a little bit, and Michigan just dominated in the trenches. That was where the main win was, was in the trenches. Aiden Hutchinson feasted in this game. Aiden Hutchinson in the game had 15 quarterback pressures, which is the most in a game since Pro Football Focus started tracking college in 2014 he had three sacks on the day three of them like this game was just an utter dominant performance from Ohio or from Michigan and the scoreline 42 to 27 does not even show how much of a domination this was David Ojobo Ojabo the other very good edge rusher for Michigan also re- registered a sack as well Aiden Hutchinson had seven total tackles of the game which was good for second or third on the team in tackles three sacks three tackles for loss Awesome game. He had one quarterback hurry as well. He was blowing up Ohio State's offensive line. They rotated pieces on the offensive line. They rotated Thayer Munford between guard and tackle. They moved Nicholas Petit Ferrer from left tackle to right tackle. They were all over the place. And Ohio State just couldn't do anything. They just got dominated in the trenches, and Michigan just teabagged them over and over and over again. And Hassan Haskins, 169 yards and five touchdowns. Blake Corum, 87 yards. The things that we said Michigan would needed to do to beat them, they did. And they completely shut down Ohio State, which was awesome to see. Now, growing up, I really liked Chad Henney and Mike Hart. I think we talked about this a little bit a couple shows ago, maybe last Wednesday. I don't remember exactly. But I have some, I know a lot of Iowa fans don't agree with me on this. I have somewhat of a soft spot for Michigan. If I had to choose a quote-unquote second best, second favorite team in the Big Ten, it'd be Michigan. I have really no beef with Ohio State either, but I just thought it was really cool. This is eight years. The last quarterback to beat Ohio State was Denard Robinson. And I love myself some Denard Robinson. But eight years it's been, or since they won at the Big House. I don't know if it's been eight years since they won the last game in general, but it's the first time John Harbaugh's won in five. He's won in five against Ohio State now. But goodness gracious... I, they said this on the TV on Saturday. They called it shocking, and my dad said it wasn't shocking. No, I, I think it was. 
Because John Harbaugh has never beaten this team. Ohio State just beat their in-state rivals, what was it, 56-7? to But yeah, 56-7, to and we're up, what, third, what was that, 49 to nothing at halftime. A Michigan State team that not only is their in-state rival, but a team that beat them a few weeks earlier. So I think this was a shocking game. And I'm happy it turned out the way it did. I really like what Michigan was doing. Aiden Hutchinson's awesome to watch. You know, we've talked about him before, even before the season started. Just need to see how he played after he was hurt. And now he's dominating. And he, because there's not really an insane player that wants the Heisman this year, he really has a shot. Because there's not one person this year that you can point to and go, that's the guaranteed Heisman winner. None of the quarterbacks this week did anything to take it. C.J. Stroud played well enough, but nothing that goes, yeah, that's Heisman worthy. He got bailed out a couple times by the big three receivers at Ohio State, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave making massive, insane catches. Which you have to have a great quarterback to throw in the football, but they made some great plays as well. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Michigan just gave them the middle of the field pretty much, which was stupid, but it worked out in the end. It worked out in the end. C.J. Stroud also fumbled twice, got sacked a bunch, got beat up in this game. And he was the Heisman favorite by the odds going into this week, which makes sense. I mean, you throw six touchdowns in one half against the top 10 team in the nation, you're going to have some, you know, a lot of hype going into your, <laughs> your next game against your rival that you haven't lost to in years. I get it was in the big house, but over recent years, that has not seemed to matter to Ohio State that often. <laughs> As Dwayne Haskins torched them and Michigan just said you know what we don't want to play you last year so yeah I would call this result shocking maybe not the fact uh, okay now I'm thinking about it Michigan winning shouldn't isn't the shocking part really the shocking part's how easy they made it look because yeah the score was 42-27 Michigan killed them I it wasn't even that close I'm surprised Ohio State was able to keep up with this, but that's just a credit to their passing offense. Caden McNamara threw a really bad interception in in the first quarter that would have put them up, I think, 14 to nothing, which would have put the game out early. Michigan just had their way. There's no other way around it. Michigan just had their way. And Michigan, after that, will be representing the Big Ten East in the Big Ten Championship game, and will be taking on the Iowa Hawkeyes, who needed some help, who needed some help this weekend, and gave every Iowa fan somewhat of a heart attack on Black Friday against Nebraska. And I said this on Wednesday, that this is the most scared I have been for an Iowa-Nebraska game in years. Like, Iowa's beat them seven straight times, six or seven straight times. I can't remember at this point. But this game, out of all of them, this is the worst record Nebraska's had in my, in, to, in regards to my memory anyways, that Nebraska's had going into this game against Iowa. Three and nine. But the fact is, every game they've lost has been by single digits. Every single one. Like, look at some of these scores they had. You had Illinois, Nebraska, 30-22. Oklahoma, Nebraska, number three Oklahoma at Oklahoma, 23-16. 23-20 against number 20 Michigan State. 32-29 against number nine Michigan. 30-23 against Minnesota. 28-23 against Purdue. 26-17 against Ohio State. And 35 to 28 against Wisconsin. Like, I was nervous. And I think I was vindicated in being nervous going into this game with how the game started. Nebraska had their way. Adrian Martinez did not play. 
And that made me scared. And Logan Smothers ran the ball down Iowa's throats early. And then, weirdly, they just stopped doing what worked and fed right into Iowa's hands, and Iowa came back to win the game 28-21. to I, I can't really describe what happened. It was like an, a higher power called the game or something. Like, Iowa had a blocked field or blocked punt in the game that they returned for a touchdown as well, <laughs> a safety on an intentional grounding call by Logan Smothers, a field goal, a Spencer Petras quarterback sneak because, like we said, going into the game, Padilla and Petras, I think I said this, Maybe I got this on Thursday. I can't remember. A friend sent me that both of them had the flu, or a report said they had the flu. And neither one of them played that good. And I don't know who's going to start the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan, but they said they're going to announce it on Tuesday, from what it sounded like. I, the Petrus or Padilla will start that. And Tyler Goodson balled out, rushes over for 1,000 yards on the season. Right now, Tyler Goodson is 1,101 yards with six touchdowns to his name. It's his first time he's rushed for over 1,000 yards. And this is what we said Iowa should do all the time. Give the ball to Tyler Goodson and good things will happen, son. Look at that. I just made that up now. And that was pretty badass if I do if I do say so myself. And I do. Yeah, they needed some help. They were down 19 in the fourth. They were down in the fourth quarter and scored 19 unanswered points to win the game. And now with that, I mean, it was already nailed in anyways. Scott Frost has as many losing seasons at Nebraska four as Kirk Ferentz has had in 23 years at Iowa. And Kirk Ferentz, when he came to Iowa, inherited a whole hell of a lot bigger mess than Scott Frost did coming into Nebraska. A whole hell of a lot bigger mess. And Scott Frost is making it look dreadful. And they were talking about this before the game about how they restructured his contract. Scott Frost has restructured contracts basically so they can lower the buyout so when they do eventually fire him, they don't need to pay him as much. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Their buyout contract. That's the only reason they restructured. Dude threw his entire coaching staff under the bus and just blew a big lead against Iowa to lose their sixth or seventh straight game against the Hawkeyes. So Iowa, in every rivalry game apart from Wisconsin, <laughs> they won the trophy. Beat Iowa State for the sixth year in a row. Beat Minnesota for the eighth year in a row. They haven't lost to Minnesota at home since 1999. Then they just beat Nebraska for the sixth or seventh, fifth, sixth or seventh time in a row. So it's a, a year of extending streaks for the Iowa Hawkeyes and for the Wisconsin Badgers on Saturday. They took on the Minnesota Golden Gophers in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. And the Wisconsin, if they won the game, would be Big Ten co-champions. But with the tiebreaker against Iowa after shit-stomping them in Madison, they would have represented the Big Ten at the Big Ten Championship game. And rightfully so. They would have the same record. Wisconsin would have had one more loss in regular season play. But... They beat Iowa, so they would represent the Big Ten. And I hope that most or every Iowa fan would understand that. <laughs> I know there'd be some that would be upset. Because, again, there's stupid fans in every single fan base. Every single one. Now, some fan bases are stupider than others. But there's stupid fans in every fan base. But this is the only time and the last time that I will ever openly cheer for Minnesota. Ever, ever, ever. I would like to say that right now. The Gophers, screw you guys. If I'm looking at my least favorite teams in college football, I hate Minnesota more than Wisconsin. Hate Minnesota. So, this hurt, but we needed Minnesota to lose or beat Wisconsin. And they made it tough at the beginning. Made it tough at the beginning. They were losing 10-3. Got a field goal right before halftime. And then, you know what? Tanner Morgan coming back for his 20th year next year. 
came back through a touchdown in the game. Pretty nice. Pretty nice. Graham Mertz threw a famous Graham Mertz interception and no touchdowns in the game. Brandon a- Braylon Allen got halted for 47 yards, which was very good for Minnesota in this game. This was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed watching Minnesota beat up on Wisconsin because now it left no doubt that Iowa was the Big Ten West champs. There's going to be the whole controversy of co-champs who would represent them with, you know, most people, again, Wisconsin would represent the Big Ten. But most of us know this. But you have the whole co-champs thing because of the fact that they have the same conference record, even though Wisconsin beat Iowa. So then it would it'd be Wisconsin versus Michigan. Now it's Iowa versus Michigan. And this is Iowa's second chance at getting a Big Ten crown. They lost it to Michigan State a few years ago with C.J. Beathard when they went undefeated and got shit stomped in the Rose Bowl. They came close. A nine-minute or so drive from Michigan State with an L.J. Scott touchdown saw Iowa lose that game. Now they're going up against Michigan, Michigan, who has a better run game and a better defense and a more likable quarterback than Michigan State did. So am I more afraid of Michigan? Hell yes. Michigan State didn't have Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo coming off the edges. Do they have that? No. Do they have Daxton Hill in the secondary? No. They have Hassan Haskins and Blake Corm running at you? No. I do not think I will win this game. I do not think I will win this game whatsoever. But hey, the crazier things have happened. I didn't think they'd beat Iowa State earlier this year, and they beat Iowa State. So there's that. <laughs> and Iowa State. For them, they beat up on TCU on Friday, as expected. We said that they would have, they would ha- re- really shouldn't have any problems against TCU on Friday, and they ended up blowing them out, forty-eight to fourteen. It was close at halftime. It was seventeen to seven at halftime, which I guess is a double-digit halftime lead, but it was close. And then they started piling the points on. Brees Hall, congratulations first off to Brees Hall. Nothing bad to say about Brees Hall whatsoever. He has just broken the NCAA record. For most touchdowns in consecutive game or touchdowns, most consecutive games with a rushing touchdown. 24 games. That record is older than my parents, who were both born in 1971. Like, that's an old record. That's over a half century ago. That's an old record. And Brees Hall, again, I have nothing bad to say about Brees Hall. Dude's a, a baller. And as it seems like a really good pro- I don't, I don't know, Brees Hall. He could be a dickhead. I don't know. I don't know any of these guys. <laughs> he could be. But from what I can tell, Brees Hall is a really awesome person. And this is a very deserving person to have this. And I think we had this conversation last year with Brock Purdy versus Seneca Wallace. Is the conversation had? I mean, I'm not an Iowa State fan, so I don't really hear these conversations that often. Do Iowa State fans talk about Brees Hall being better than Troy Davis? Is that a conversation people have had? Troy Davis famously had two back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons with a horrific Iowa State team. Brees Hall had the best Iowa State team of all time and balled out, and rightfully so. I mean, Brees Hall's a baller. It's not just the team. He's the best player on the team. So, who's better? So, we had this conversation last year between Brock, between Seneca. Those are the two guys, but then we kind of threw in, like, Sage Roosevelt versus Brett Meyer which I think Sage Roosevelt only gets thrown in that conversation because of the fact that he had a longer NFL career. Brett Meyer didn't have one, but Brett Meyer is better than Sage Roosevelt. We're talking about just college careers. Because if we want to do that, like Tom Brady's the GOAT, but Tim Tebow's a better college quarterback than Tom Brady. Uh, Tim Tebow sucked in the NFL. 
Like just because you're a great NFL player does not make you a great college player. And just because you're great in college does not make you a great NFL player. Which is the fun part of the draft. But that's why I put Brett Meyer above Sage Rosenfels. Even though I went to a Sage Rosenfels football camp when I was a kid. Sage Rosenfels, Kyle Orton football camp in, uh, in well, Southeast Polk. It's Polk City, or no, Altoona, Iowa. Good Lord, Polk City's up in, <laughs> near Ankeny. But that's funny story. Kyle Orton's actually the one who taught me how to throw football. I used to do it with the three fingers on the laces. Kyle Orton said try two, and it's worked beautifully. And I could throw a really good spiral. I'm not, again, I don't say I'm the best quarterback ever. I'm top three at least, but I, I could throw a good football. I could throw a good football. I, I'm pretty confident in saying that. I might not be the best quarterback top three, but I, I can throw football really well. But yeah, Brees Hall, baller, Brock Purdy, had that typical, you know, Iowa quarterback thing where peaked really early, not terrible the rest of your career, not bad at all the rest of your career, but it's kind of been down a slow trajectory. It's not like a straight drop like James Vandenberg who went straight up and then straight back down. Brock Purdy didn't have that, but it's kind of a similar story to that of Drew Tate. I think Brock Purdy and Drew Tate are very similar in regards to their their level, I guess. I think they're both great leaders. They're both around the same size, decently mobile. Not the greatest athlete, but decently mobile. And the best quarterback of the 21st century for Iowa and Iowa State. Again, Chuck Long is the greatest quarterback of Iowa's history, so we have to use narrow it down to 21st century. That still is Seneca Wallace and Brock Purdy. Let's just put it like this. The greatest quarterback in Iowa State history wears 15. Is that fair to say? Is that fair to say? <laughs> but Iowa State, I mean, it wasn't the year that anybody expected. And I could, you could take that as a backhanded compliment or not. I, I mean, it's, it's just the truth. This is not the year anybody expected when you return every single starter. And then you go 7-5. and five. Very on-brand for Iowa, like we said on Wednesday where Iowa brought almost everybody back from the Orange Bowl year and almost everything back from the Rose Bowl year and went about 8-4, and 7-5 the next year. It's very on-brand for Iowa schools. But I saw this on Twitter. It's more of bait things than actually, like, opinions that people actually think. Like, we've talked about this before, but Iowa State fans are getting really frustrated with Iowa. Get, like, their weekends live and die more so on Iowa losing than Iowa State winning a football game. At least that's what it seems like. Because I personally, ever since I've been in college, I've never really gone like, Oh, Iowa State, if they lose to TCU, if they beat TCU, I'm going to be so upset. I was cheering for Iowa State against Texas. I don't think you can say an Iowa State fan was ever cheering for anybody. <laughs> Iowa, or a, any, a guy, uh, cheering for Iowa when they were playing anybody. Like, I was cheering for Iowa State against Texas. I thought it would be really funny if they beat Texas. Horns down all the way. Like, we've talked about that. Like, it just it hurts. I've talked to a few friends that are neutrals that communicate with more Iowa State fans than I do. Like, we have our fantasy football chat that we've talked about before, but one of them, or a few of them are with them more than I am in person. And it hurts when Iowa wins a game. It doesn't bother me. I could live or die. It doesn't affect me at all if Iowa State wins or loses a football game. I watched the game against TCU. It was really fun to watch. Brees Hall talking with his mom. I think it was his mom. During the game was really awesome. I think Iowa State fans like to make a bigger deal of the black uniforms than Iowa fans do. At least from my experience. Like, every time it's one of those things where someone's trying to start something on Twitter that people don't really say. I know it kind of it was kind of a joke at the beginning, and then Iowa State fans kind of took it and ran with it. Like, oh, every time a black uniform's out, you should ask Iowa. I don't think Iowa fans really care. Again, in my experience, could be wrong. Maybe I'm not following the right people. Maybe I'm following level-headed Iowa people. But again, like I've said, like 20 minutes ago, or not, 15 minutes ago, 
There's stupid fans in every fan base, more so than others. But there's stupid fans in every single fan base. But like people on Twitter, the bait things that we we're talking about, like Iowa made it the Big Ten championship after not playing Michigan State, Michigan, or Ohio State. Okay. What if they didn't make the Big Ten championship? Then you'd go, oh, you didn't make the Big Ten championship when you played Northwestern, Minnesota, and all these teams. You would have said the exact. It's like you can't win with that. It's like, oh, you didn't play these teams, so your Big Ten championship appearance is, fl- is is flawed. But if you don't make it, it's like, oh, you didn't make it with you played these teams. And I saw somebody, this was kind of funny, it was Iowa has not beaten a single team that is currently ranked in the top 25. Which Iowa State, when they beat them, were 7th ranked. And I think that's more of an indictment on Iowa State than it is on, <laughs> and it was an Iowa State fan that said it. And it's on, uh, his name's Larry. I don't know if it's because... It's one of those people that doesn't use their real name or their Twitter page. I don't know if it's, a, it's really them. It could be them. I don't know what they look like in real life. But my Iowa State fans, they retweet and like his stuff all the time because he's one of those prodders where you don't, you don't know if he actually means anything he says. It's kind of like get attention. But it was in the comment section of that. And <laughs> it was an Iowa State fan. It's like, you did beat anybody in the top 25 that's certainly in the top 25. Iowa State was seventh and they're not ranked. It's more of an indictment on them. How the expectations of... This is a great team, ranked seven. They could be a college football playoff dark horse to seven and five and five and four in the conference. Like, I hate the whole argument of you didn't play this team, so you didn't make it. But if you didn't make it, how did you not make it when you didn't play? It's a dumbass argument. Stupid ass argument. Like, it's an in state team. They didn't play anybody that affects Iowa State to any regard, at least from what I could tell. Why does this affect people so much? Like, did anybody really say, again, this is might be me not noticing it. How many Iowa fans said a thing about them making the Big 12 championship game last year? I remember people bashing the Big 10 about Indiana being top of it when Iowa State has the same bowl record as Indiana. So it's kind of the same thing. Like, no one made fun of Oregon when they made the Fiesta Bowl last year. <laughs> they, didn't make, they didn't even make it in the Pac-12 championship game. All they did to make it was Washington opted out. That was the only reason they won it. So you played the third best team in the Pac-12. No one said anything about that. To my knowledge, anyways. But I don't know. Congratulations to Iowa State. Uh, not the season you wanted, but you have a great team. You have great players, very likable players. Brees Hall, awesome. Hope the Bills draft you come February. But other games that took place this week in the state of Iowa, you and I took on Eastern Washington. I got that team name right this time. <laughs> I rotated between Western Kentucky and Eastern Washington for like five minutes. Last show, I you know they're both red and black teams. They're both different levels of college football, but I just couldn't get it out of my head. But you and I, I watched this entire game, and it was a lot better than what I was expecting. So Eastern Washington, if you don't know, has one of the best passing attacks in college football. Eric Barrier is one of the best quarterbacks in the FCS level. One of the best. And you and I played their asses off. Now, I could argue that you and I should have been up going into halftime because of the fact they went for it. Sam, Theo Day, quarterback, passed the ball to Sam Schnee, who got tackled what looked like in the end zone. It was one of those situations where he landed on the goal line. I thought he was in. They marked him short. I don't know why you and I didn't challenge it, because I thought he was in. They didn't challenge it, and then they ended up not getting the ball over the line and had to get stuffed at the one-yard line. Then Eastern Washington marched all the way down the field, but then missed a field goal. So it was kind of like the football gods rectified the wrong the refs made on that one. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a great game. 
great, great game. You and I went into halftime, looked really, really good on their last drive of the game, or last drive of the first half. Theo Day looked in rhythm, and then he got hurt. He got hurt earlier in the game. He had a hurt leg, but then they eventually pulled him for Matt Morrissey, who did not play very well, but he's a lot more mobile than Theo Day, which I, it isn't it's saying a lot. It's not really ta- saying a whole lot. But all in all, for a team that, for a wide margin, barely made the playoffs at 6-5, and five, playing a 9-2 and two Eastern Washington team that good with a really good pass offense, and playing, I mean, 19-9 is not a terrible loss in the grand scheme of things. This proved that you and I deserved to be in the playoffs. Deserved it. And they played like they played really, really well. Matthew Cook missed a field goal or really long field goal in the game, which was really odd for him. Nowhere close. It landed in the end zone, which is very odd for him. He's the best kicker in the FCS level, arguably. Yeah, all in all, it was a good game. Very good game. This was a very deserving win for you. Or, uh, moral victory, I guess we could call it for you and I. Ends the season, sure. But you know what? Against a team like that, losing only by 10 on the road. Nice one. I'll give them a thumbs up for that. And you and I basketball, they won against St. Bonaventure on Saturday as well. They beat the top 16 team in the nation. They wore these pretty odd gray uniforms, but you know what? They won. That's awesome. So we had Iowa State beat Memphis and Xavier. And then we have you and I beating St. Bonaventure. The teams that were supposed to be the two worst in the state, <laughs> Iowa State's undefeated. And you and I, they haven't played well. But they played really good against Arkansas, who were a top 25 team at the time, and then they just beat St. Bonaventure, both on the road. So you know what? Kudos to them. A.J. Green played his ass off, scored 35 points. Very nice to have him back and healthy. A good week for you and I. They, I know they lost the playoffs, but it, good game. Really good game for you and I. And then now in the FCS playoff rankings right now, Eastern Washington will have today's today six-seed Montana. We have Southern, who beat Florida A&M 38-14, will be playing James Madison. We have South Dakota State pretty unsurprisingly handling UC Davis. They'll take on Sac State. Holy Cross beats Sacred Heart 13-10. They'll take on Villanova. Then we have Kennesaw State taking on Eastern Ten- East Tennessee State, beating Davidson 48-21. So Illinois, pretty unsurprisingly, in my opinion, beat South Dakota 28-20 or 22-8. Jeez. 22-10. I'm talking too fast right now. They'll take on North Dakota State. And then we had UT Martin beating Missouri State by 1, 32-31. They'll take on Montana State. And Incarnate Word beating Stephen F. Austin, 35-28. They'll take on the number one seed and reigning FCS champions, Sam Houston State. Now, if I had to choose a dark horse, I know the favorites are like North Dakota State, Sam Houston State. They just repeated. South Dakota State made it to the championship game last year, but lost there in the play this next round as well. But the Montana teams are very, very tough teams. Montana and Montana State, I would look out for them. Tough ones. But again, it's set up for Sam Houston State and North Dakota State to play each other. James Madison's always tough as well. So I would put, if you're talking about favorites, the top three seeds, obviously, but a dark horse is the Montana teams. That's what my humble, humble opinion is on these games. But again, I host a sports podcast. So I can say whatever I want and be right because that's just how smart I am. But other games that went on in college football this weekend, we had Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl beating Mississippi State 31 to 21. Cincinnati dispersed or dispatched uh, East Carolina 35-13. Utah beat Colorado 20 to 13. NC State beat North Carolina in ex- exhilarating fashion, scoring 13 points in the final 26 seconds to win 34 to 30. 
San Diego State beat Boise State 27-16. Arkansas beat Missouri 34-17. Georgia, I don't even need to say score. They killed Georgia Tech. You know that. <laughs> Didn't even need to say that game. Uh, Alabama beat up on Art. Beat up. Good Lord. Auburn played really well on Saturday. Because in the latter parts of the game, I had the UNI game on my laptop. Then we were flipping back and forth between Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Auburn, Alabama. And what was the game on ESPN? There was one more game on ESPN. Who was it? Who was the other game? There was one game that we were flipping back. Oh, Oregon, Oregon State. I think that was the game that was also on at the same time. But Alabama, Auburn. Good Lord. Tough one. (laughs) Tough, tough one. Alabama was getting beat in the game. This was another game where we thought would be pretty easy for Alabama. Auburn, Bo Nix is out. You had a new quarterback who's played some this year. But Alabama, should, you would expect Alabama to handle Auburn even though it was on the road. Bryce Young came back, did not play particularly well early stages in the game, but came back in the game through two touchdowns, one in overtime, and one in normal time to Corey Brooks, who came in for Jamison Williams, who got ejected for targeting, which was really weird. You don't see that from wide receivers, but it's a clear target. <laughs> it was clear, clear target. But the thing that's controversial in this game is the fact that Tank Bigsby, Auburn's very, very good running back, ran out of bounds with about a minute or so left, giving Alabama about 40 extra seconds to work with, which they used, as you do. You know, I'm going to take a drink real quick. This is what you do. You get, you're given a lifeline like that. Take advantage of it. <laughs> That's what Alabama did. Tank Bigsby, love you seem like a cool dude. You're a very good running back, but yeah, Alabama... They used that, <laughs> and they ended up winning the game because they did that two-point conversion thing after the second overtime. So both teams scored. Auburn, their new kicker, made a uh, 47-yard field, which is a new career long for him, which was awesome to see. But Alabama, 24-22 victors in that game. And we have Notre Dame beating up on Stanford, 45-14. Okie State beat Oklahoma, which we'll get to in a little bit. Baylor beat Texas, Texas Tech. Oregon beat Oregon State. Michigan State beat and hang on against Penn State. BYU beat USC. Minnesota beat Wisconsin, we talked about earlier. LSU in Coach O's last game, at least regular season game, beat Texas A&M 27-24. Pitt beat Syracuse 31-14. Wake Forest beat Boston College 41-10. Clemson won 30-0 against South Carolina. Houston won 45-17 against UConn. And UTSA, 11-0 UTSA gets upset against North Texas 45-20. Three. And this is a hot North Texas team. They start off the season, what, one, one, two, three, four, five, six. One and six, and they rattled off five straight wins and just beat the number 22 team in the nation. That's impressive. That's pretty damn impressive. So, yeah, that was our last game for those ones, but for Oklahoma, not only they lose Bedlam, good Lord, they just lost their head coach as well. Lincoln Riley is now gone. <laughs> Lincoln Riley is now the head coach of USC. Oh my goodness. And this is a weird thing about this. Oklahoma has four recruits or three of them, three really highly rated recruits that are from California. They got a five-star quarterback, five-star athlete, and a four-star wide receiver. All from California. All from Southern California. And they just like an hour after Lincoln Riley was announced as USC's next head coach, had a decommit. 
They already got a decommit. It's already happened. Like, Lincoln Riley's gone. Bob Stoops is going to coach the bowl game. And I'm sure Lincoln Riley got paid a lot of money. But this is an odd, odd move, in my opinion. This move kind of reminds me of when Lincoln Riley or uh, Jimbo Fisher jumped ship from Florida State to Texas A&M, where he was getting all this money to go to A&M. Left a pretty nice thing going for him at Florida Florida State, but I think he got them where he could got him as far as he could take them, and that's what Lincoln Riley's going with right now. And you don't want to be the coach that leads Oklahoma to the SEC. Don't want that burden on you. But I think what the funniest part about this whole thing is the the press conference that he had. So here's Coach Lincoln Riley. Let me stop you right there. I'm not going to be the next coach at LSU. Next question. Which is 100% true. Lincoln Riley, you didn't lie. That's impressive. Did not say you weren't going to be the coach at Oklahoma. You didn't say you were going to stay at Oklahoma. You just said you weren't going to be the coach at LSU. Which someone should have had a follow-up question right after that. You're not going to be the coach at LSU. Well, you're going to be the coach at Oklahoma? That's where it should have started. I, my friend brought this up to me today. And I kind of brushed it off because I was like, I've heard nothing about this. They've never had anything said about him going to USC. It was LSU. Oh my God, he's going to LSU. He's going to LSU. And then he's, today, they announced him today. The tweet came out at what time? 7 o'clock Central Time. We got our guy. Join us in welcoming Lincoln Riley to the, and his family to Los Angeles. This is that big splash that USC wanted. Slash needed. I know a lot of people out there were saying they needed a defensive coach, but this will get recruits in. This will get USC back on the map. This is a big, big-time coach, which is something they have not had since Pink Carroll left. Like, Lane Kiffin is the next biggest name on that list, and even at that time, he wasn't ready for the job. Lincoln Riley has been there with Oklahoma, has gotten big-time players, and will continue to get big-time players at USC. This is what they needed. <laughs> this is exactly the jolt USC needed. Now, if we are talking about this from a, is this a rise in Lincoln? Is this a step up? Is this a step down? It's just a, it's a step down if we're talking about the right here and now because USC kind of reeks. But if we're talking about what he could, could do, USC is a lot more pull in regards to where they are located than Oklahoma. Like, Bryce Young was committed to USC originally. Do you think if Lincoln Riley's there, he decommits from USC and goes to Alabama? Now there's every chance in the world he still does, but I'm sure if they had a coach like Lincoln Riley instead of Clay Helton, Bryce Young might have stayed at USC. Just my opinion on the matter. I could be completely wrong about that. This guy will get polls at USC. And Caleb Williams made a tweet out that kind of was cryptic in a way. A lot of people are nervous about it, but I think... And this is what I was going to say with the thing with LSU. This was my going to be my giant conspiracy theory. Him go to LSU and take Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler's transferring. I would You would imagine. Go to LSU. They have a quarterback issue, I guess. Miles Brennan, I think he transferred or is going to transfer. Johnson's not the best. Get Spencer Rattler down there in LSU. But Spencer Rattler, I'm pretty sure he's a Cali kid. If not, he's an Arizona or Cali kid. I can't remember. Transfer there? Is Jackson Dart going to be the guy going forward? Is Keaton Slovis going to be the guy there still? What's the quarterback situation in SoCal? Huh? What is it? Are you going to get this five-star quarterback coming in? It's going to be it's going to be a fun one. That's going to be one that we are going to be watching in 
intently. Very intently. And after USC just lost to BYU this past Saturday, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is for USC going forward for the quarterback spot. But I would not be surprised if Spencer Rattler followed him to LSU, now or to USC. But now I know there's obviously the this, this spot that he benched Spencer Rattler for Caleb Williams. Maybe he doesn't want to play for him anymore. Maybe Caleb Williams transfers to USC. Maybe that one happens. Maybe they just stick with Jackson Dart. Who knows? All I know is USC should be getting better. Should be. There's every chance they don't get better and they stagnate in their ass again. But there's every chance that they get better. And they should get better because you got freaking Lincoln Riley, who I know hasn't done it in the big stages, like in the college football playoff or anything, gets shit stomped by SEC teams. But again, USC, that's a massive job. And he got paid. I'm assuming he got paid for that. But yeah, that that's that, that kind of that makes things exciting. And Bob Stoops coaching the bowl game. I don't know what the bowl games are going to look like this year. Oklahoma's ten and two right now. They just lost to Oklahoma State. Like this next college football playoff ranking is going to be interesting. And for the next coaching co- job for Oklahoma, who gets that job? Like. Does Mark Stoops go there? Bob Stoops' brother, the current coach of Kentucky? Do we see someone like Matt Campbell? No, we don't see Matt Campbell going there. I think that this is my take on it. I don't think Matt Campbell leaves unless it's for Ohio State. And I sure as hell don't think he'll go to a Big 12 rival, especially one that's as contested as Oklahoma's been in regards to hating that team as they have been recently. I really don't see Matt Campbell leaving. I definitely don't see him leaving for the NFL. Those links can die. This kind of reminds me of Kirk Ferentz getting all these links. He was getting linked to the Browns a lot. Matt Campbell, I don't think will leave. I really don't think he'll leave. I'd be really surprised if Matt Campbell left Iowa State. But if he does, I think it's for Ohio State. Ryan Day, does he take a job down there? Doubt it, but you never know. Uh, then you've got someone like Brent Venables. Clemson's defensive coordinator's up there. Lane Kiffin. Is another one up there just to promote the offensive coordinator like they did with Lincoln Riley when Bob Stoops left? Maybe that's what they do? I don't know. Now, if I'm Oklahoma, with how bad our defense has been recently, I would go get Brent Venables. That's the first, That's who I would go get. But Oklahoma, promote in-house, or promote their new office, their last offensive coordinator, current offensive coordinator, get Stoops back full-time? Doubt it. But you know what? Crazy things have happened before. Bill Snyder came back to Kansas State after he retired. Why can't Bob Stoops? Get Chris Kleiman from Kansas State. Brian Ferentz? Hmm? I mean, hey, Brian Ferentz is available. He's got to get coaching experience somewhere. I'm sure Iowa and Iowa State fans would enjoy him coaching Oklahoma. Now he's off Iowa's books and Iowa State gets to play him again. My Oklahoma. So he'll take them down to the gutters. (laughs) That's the hope anyways. But who knows? All I know is that is a very exciting hire. Now the candidates for LSU are diminishing. I don't know who the hell is going to LSU. I don't know who the hell is going to Oklahoma. If I had to make gut prediction right now, I would take, well, if I'm being honest, I think my gut is that Oklahoma just promotes their offensive coordinator. I think that's what they'll do. But I would rather them hire Brent Venables from Clemson and then for LSU, I could see Mark Stoops going down there. If not Mark Stoops, I don't think I don't think Lane Kiffin will go. I don't think he will. 
But who knows? He's already coached for Alabama and Tennessee and now Ole Miss. Why not coach for a fourth SEC team? I know he's the office coordinator for Alabama, but still a coach down there. Or maybe Brent Venables goes to LSU and then they promote the office coordinator at Oklahoma. That's what my, If I had to put money on it, I think that's what I would guess. Because I think Mark Stoops, has an, he has a really nice thing. At Kentucky, now I know that he can upgrade jobs and stuff like that. He'd probably want to leave for a bigger school, get a bigger paycheck. But he does have a nice thing going on there right there. Matt Campbell, again, don't think he'll go. Jimbo Fisher, he might be able to go. But I think he's building something nice down there in A&M. They're out recruiting Texas, which is very nice to see. But, yeah, that's going to be interesting. That is going to be very, very interesting. And we didn't really talk about this, but here is the current conference championship games. We obviously talked about Iowa-Michigan. We got Cincinnati-Houston for the American Athletic Conference. We got Oklahoma State-Baylor. UTSA versus Western Kentucky for Conference USA. Mountain West is Utah State-San Diego State. Uh, SEC's Auburn, or geez, Alabama-Georgia. ACC's, as everybody predicted preseason, Wake Forest-Pitt. Big Ten, as we said, Iowa-Wisconsin, or Iowa-Minnesota. Jeez. Iowa-Michigan. Mac is NIU versus Kent State. Pac-12 is Oregon versus Utah. And Sunbelt's Louisiana versus Appalachian State. If I had to make predictions right now, I'm going Cincy in the AAC, Oklahoma State in the Big 12, Western Kentucky for an upset over UTSA, San Diego State over Utah State, Georgia over Alabama, Pitt over Wake Forest, Michigan over Iowa, Kent State over Northern Illinois, Utah over Oregon, and Louisiana over Appalachian State. So those are my 10 predictions for the conference championship games. Those will probably all be wrong, knowing how we've done so far with predictions this year. (laughs) But we'll get more into conference championship games later. I mean, we've got them all coming up this week, and we'll talk about them a little bit more on Friday's show and Wednesday's show because we'll have Conference USA's championship game on Friday. Wait, no. No, this is all work. We'll we'll just talk about it on Friday's show. But my gut tells me on here on the Monday show that that's what will happen. I'm over to be wrong. If I had to choose ones that would like be a little more open, Baylor, Oklahoma State's open to me. UTSA, Western Kentucky's very open. I think those are the only two. <laughs> I think those are the only two games where I could go, yeah, I could see it going the other way. But I think it's Bailey Zappi and Western Kentucky. It's Bailey Zappi versus Sincere McCormick, the running back for UTSA. That's the battle there. And West, oh, Western Kentucky's the favorite. <laughs> I'm looking on ESPN right now. They're the favorite. Pretty nice. I picked them before that, so that's really that's really cool. Am I, did I just pick the favorites like a freaking pleb? I think I did. That was unintentional as well. I just picked teams that I thought would win. <laughs> I didn't want to pick the favorites. Just looked like there's even a line for Oregon Utah. I didn't want to pick the favorites. I wanted to go off the grid a little bit. Well, where's the other ones? Do we have other conference championship games here? Where's the MAC conference championship game? Why is that not popping up on here? Oh, they're not top 25. So we got to go FCS. FBS schools. Week 14. Is there a spread for that one? Kent State. Crap, we picked Kent State. Okay, we got Louisiana. We picked Louisiana over Appalachian State. So there's one. We got one underdog, I guess. That's kind of depressing. I thought UTSA, Western Kentucky would be an underdog one, but I guess not. I guess we know nothing. But according to the spreads, I guess we know something. We're looking pretty good in regards to the spreads. Do I, the problem is that we're facing right now is the fact what is this oh my god Oklahoma got another one there's another guy Brandon Innes 
just decommitted from Oklahoma. We have two in the span of almost two hours of decommits from Oklahoma. And that's all we've got for today on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I know before the show started, or during the start of the show, I guess, we said that we do the United States thing, but the show's getting really long as it is. I'm getting a little drained right now. We're talking a lot right now. We're at an hour and a half. We're going to end it here, but this will be a nice... You'll get ready for the next one. Whenever we do the... Well, I think we're going to probably push it to Friday, which is a little upsetting for me because I wanted to do it today, but I didn't think we'd talk as much as we did today. I did not really know we were doing the Thanksgiving thing until the show started, and I was like, you know what? This would be kind of fun. So that's on me. Probably should have planned that a little bit better. Probably should have planned the time I was going to start the show a little bit better, but we'll get to that on Friday. I have a blog post for you as well, so make sure you stay tuned for that. I apologize for not doing the video in advance, or doing the the USMNT thing right now, but we'll do that on Friday. I promise. I promise, I promise, I promise. I said we were doing it on Monday, last Wednesday. We're not going to get to it. I apologize for that, but I hope you enjoyed the show regardless. If not, I can only apologize for that. If you did, make sure you go and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, and while you're at it, go and make sure you're following me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go and follow me on all forms of social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go subscribe to the YouTube page, and again, make sure you're following me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And with that, I will see you all later. Have a good rest of your day. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you on Wednesday with more quarterback rankings. Peace.